hello and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stanmore Major. And here we are, episode 51. And as promised, the Spartan website is now live. So we're going to be talking about that. That's a big deal for me. A very important point which we've been moving towards now for 18 months. It's been pretty much 18 months since we've last went sailing as a company. The last things we did was um, the Caribbean 600. We chartered the Volvo 65 sailing Poland and uh, had a group go out and, and get involved in the Caribbean 600. I think we were 10th overall on that, which was uh, which is pretty good for a crew that had only jumped on board a couple days before the start of the race. And then the same boat with another Spartan crew went to the Heineken regatta and had a lot of fun charging around there. The Heineken regatta includes the Ocean Class, which I developed a couple of years ago. And the Ocean Class at uh, the Heineken regatta there in St. Martin is the largest collection of uh, Volvo boats coming together outside of the Volvo race. So regularly, Whitbread 60s, Volvo 60s, Volvo 70s, Whitbread Maxis and Volvo 65s all racing together. Those classes um, had always previously uh, competed in IRC zero, which meant that they were then up against uh, kind of super light, super fast, uh, modern race boats with pro crews, um, just impossible for those boats to come together and uh, and actually get any kind of result when they go racing. So we formed the Ocean Class in 2017 with the support of the Caribbean Sailing Association and particularly with the support of the Heineken Regatta. And it's really done very, very well there. I've uh, personally gone and got involved in races down there where I've come sort of second behind a Volvo 65, but ahead of, of uh, a Whitbread Maxi with a Volvo 70 in fourth. And you're like, oh my goodness, like we're actually proper competition with the boats. And of course, the great thing is that all those boats now are all being used in the charter market. So although the boats are different speed ratings and, and different uh, handicaps and different um, performance uh, envelopes, their IRC rating uh, allows them to compete against each other as long as each boat has got a uh, charter crew on board, which is which is what's happening at these kind of events. So that was the last time that Spartan put to sea. It was then, um, I think it was February the 20th that uh, myself and my business partner started to discuss uh, what's happening with COVID. And my experience um, was already influenced by the fact that I'd been in China during SARS in, what was that, like 2000 and 2003, was that? 2002? Um, and I knew how quickly it could develop from being an interesting news piece to being a major force in your life. I was quarantined and um, uh, our travel was massively restricted and, and plans that we had to travel in China were just basically uh, suspended uh, when SARS started kicking into gear. So I knew that it could very quickly get weird. And that was, um, that was February 20th that we started to discuss with our clients what would happen in the event that COVID became uh, a big force in the Western world and, and stopped the sailing. And indeed, of course, by March, it was uh, very much uh, on everybody's uh, minds. Um, my my influences on that that had given me that extra bit of insight was just the fact that, uh, I don't know if you knew this, uh, Taiwan had already um, declared a state of emergency on the 31st of December 2019. Um, Hong Kong had already run out of uh, masks, uh, PPE, uh, on the on the 31st of January 2020. So in those places, it was already in gear in a big way and being kind of ignored by the Western press. So anyway, that was the scenario around Spartan 
coming to a rest in uh, 2020. And then we've basically just been sort of sitting and waiting and observing the industry and observing what's going on in the wider sphere and trying to work out how do we get back into gear. And I think a lot of um, companies have faced this, a lot of individuals in their own own lives have faced this. Of course, you can remember there's still some people who have got uh, issues which complicate them taking vaccines or issues that would make them very susceptible to the virus who have been literally in lockdown since um, since February, March of last year. And if that does apply to you, then I uh, my heart does go out to you. And I really, uh, you know, I really hope that things come good soon enough that we can have everybody back uh, doing what they want to do, protected and safe. However, that happens for the best. So um, for over a year, I've sort of sat and watched from the guy uh, from the sidelines. As many of you will be aware, my background is with um, crude and solo round the world racing. Um, that's always something that's been on my mind, and I was very aware of the fact that the Ocean Globe Race, which is organised by Don McIntyre, the same the same guy and the same company which organised the Golden Globe Race. Um, I was aware that Don had decided to put together a retro Whitbread race and that the retro Whitbread race would be going in 2023. That soon resolved itself into being the Golden Globe. No, <laughs> that's the mistake I keep making. <laughs> Not the Golden Globe, the Ocean Globe, the Ocean Globe race 2023. Of course, the Golden Globe was the uh, a look back and a, and a recreation of the original Golden Globe race that happened in 1969 that saw... Um, uh, a young Robin Knox Johnston become very rapidly Sir Robin Knox Johnston as the first man ever to sail solo nonstop around the world. That was happening at the end of the 60s. In 73, the Whitbread race sets off around the world. And it was a ragtag bunch of, of, of folks that set off on that one. It was closer to what I think now we see as being the spirit of offshore racing and the spirit of offshore sailing. Um, people are coming together for a kind of Corinthian act of, uh, of, of sailing, of seamanship. They didn't really know if it was, I guess they knew it was possible because the guys had already gone around in the Golden Globe race, but it was all so close to impossible that, you know, when um, Sir Robin set off around the world, there was no like autopilots or wind vanes and they were, all the competitors in that were making up things to try and solve the problem of how do you sail a boat on your own with nothing and no one to, to hold the wheel. Obviously, a lot of those earlier boats were very well balanced and could sail quite nicely just with the, the, the helm uh, lashed in position. But for more complicated points of sale, they had to come up with all sorts of solutions to try and uh, be able to uh, keep the boats on course. By 73, and we're setting off in the beginning of the Whitbread race, obviously the problem of steering is solved by have more crew, but you know, could you, could you take a crew all the way around the world like that? I guess it was closer to what was known because obviously ships had gone around the world many times before, thousands and th probably millions of times before with crew on board. But um, such small boats and, and trying to race each other, trying to go fast was all new. So for those who were there, perhaps you remember um, quite how exciting it was. Looking back uh, on some of the footage, which is available on YouTube, I can see just how um, excitable folks were because the 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 uh, start line is absolutely crowded with uh, with spectator boats and um, uh, what a, what a sight it's uh, it's something which I see as being the kind of golden days of offshore sailing I think we started to go downhill in around the 90s maybe that's kind of where it all started to go uh, go wrong but that 20 year period from 
73 until 93, I think, was uh, was definitely the, the heyday for it all. So uh, I saw that that race was on the horizon, that Don had put that together. I got excited about it because we had um, Challenger already, which is our Whitbread 60. And I knew that that was something I'd like to be involved in. And my starting point for starting Spa and Ocean Racing, the name of the company, if you didn't know, is based on the, the name of the boat that I took solo around the world, the Open 60 Spartan. Um, and really, to be honest, at the beginning, the <laughs> the name's like, it's kind of cool because it's you know, Spartans and the film 300 had only come out a little bit, uh, a little while back, which is why the original boat was uh, had the bound number 300 and it's why challenger has 301 but um it was also a state of our bank account basically i had come right off the back of doing the clip around the world race got a little bit of sponsorship that was able to get me um get me a mainsail and get me some rigging and, and get insurance and those kind of basics but then the actual boat was uh, donated for the event by sir robert knox johnson it was his boat so um we had almost no money when you think that a mainsail even with all the discounts we got at the time was 25 26 000, um the rigging's about the same the insurance is about the same and then you're taking a boat which is not sailed for four years really done just a couple of events since it was last race around the world um it was an incredibly tight budget and so the, the joke between us was the fact that it was uh, a spartan bank account rather than anything more exciting that was uh, that was fueling us so um we got the the company going in um 2015 i guess is when we got going my, my father was very ill with brain cancer uh, in 2012 which unfortunately led to his led to his death so i had um got myself lined up to go and do the vendee globe in 2012 and then that didn't that didn't happen uh, because obviously i made the choice to go back and be with my father and and, and look after him and um these kind of things with this kind of uh sportsmanship or, or, or athleticism or whatever pursuit whatever you want to call it um, you have to have momentum and momentum means that the press knows who you are and sponsors know who you are and then it's easier to reach out and get the kind of funding that you need to be able to do these things um, by the time I had uh, come to the end of that period supporting my mum and my dad until until he passed away all momentum had been lost so I was living in Hong Kong at that time and I tried to get something going which was Basically, my concept had always been that um, having worked for Outward Bound, I saw that Outward Bound no longer had um, big tall ships. Outward Bound as an organization was very, very influential for me in my early years. I went to work for them as a volunteer at 18 and um, and I've, I've worked for them subsequently for six years and been a senior instructor and, and run the sailing department in the Hong Kong Outward Bound School, which is the largest or was certainly when I was there, one of the largest and most profitable outdoor schools in the world with you know a 67 foot yacht and four 36 foot boats and all of these things going on. Really wonderful uh, um, support from the Hong Kong Jockey Club led to this incredible um, ability for the Outer Bound School to go onto the water. But it was still a shade of what it had been because when I went to work for Outer Bound in Hong Kong originally in 1996, they had a tall ship. They had a 144 foot tall ship called Ji Fong, and she sailed all over the South China Sea, taking tens of thousands of trainees uh, on incredible experiences, uh, developmental experiences, management, leadership, communication, all the things that sail training is um, famous for. That was my uh, kind of introduction to offshore sailing, to voyaging and to the, to the sea. Um, but Outward Bound as an organization worldwide had moved away from having big tall ships because trying to maintain 
large wooden or metal vessels is extremely expensive. Obviously, the rules for how these things happened had uh, got tighter and tighter over time, as they should, as they needed to. Super yachts had started to come up, and the rules had to uh, start to tighten up because you had people in 1999 who were driving 150-foot tri-deck uh, motor yachts with 4,000 horsepower on tap and they were doing it on an RYA Yachtmaster ticket. So as those tightened up, it just made it more and more difficult for sail training organizations to keep the kind of professional crew you must have for that kind of vessel and keep things safe uh, within the kind of budget they had. So tall ships and sail training really started to kind of get thinner on the ground in around 2000. I was working for Outward Bound five years after that um, and started to get this idea that it would be great to start something which I called in my in my head Outward Bound Oceana, which would be an Outward Bound school that was on the ocean, that was um, based on and around um, uh, boats. And therefore you could do interesting uh, trips out of each Outward Bound school all around the world. There are 50 odd Outward Bound schools in 30 odd countries. Uh, certainly last time I looked at the figures and um, each school is too small to have a you know a large sail training vessel on on tap but i thought it would be possible to have a branch of outward bound that was just based on boats and those boats went to the individual schools and provided a course and then moved on to the next school so each school could advertise the fact that they had a proper sail training um, offshore uh, yacht available but it, that yacht would not be owned by the school and then it would it would change the way that um, it, sail training had been done uh, in that major element that the school itself wouldn't own the vessel but also I realized that like this tool ship that I worked on Jifeng she could take 36 um, trainees you then needed to have an instructor for each group of 12 and then you needed to have about uh, seven or eight permanent crew on the vessel to uh, to run the boat to you know a proper engineer proper cook proper bosun proper captain and mate and um, the the upshot of it was that I started to realize that you could actually replicate the experience by having sort of 60 or 70 foot boats and have 12 people on board each boat with an instructor and with a professional sail uh, training um, qualified person on board the vessel. And at that point, you'd be hitting all of the same uh, goals that, that sail training had. It wouldn't be as, as huge, though, and it wouldn't require the extreme level of qualification for the people operating, you know, 150 foot boats. It's, it's within the realms of what a yacht master can do. Um, and the boats themselves would be made of modern materials so they wouldn't then be as subject to, to rust or rot so they'd be cheaper to run. So that was the concept. That was already formed in 2005. Then I did the Around the World race with Clipper in 2009, 2010. And then I did Around the World solo in 2010, 2011. And then I kind of was off the scene when I was uh, looking after my dad. Um, when I kind of got back into it, which I guess would be halfway through 2013, something like that. Um, I started trying to put together uh, an opportunity in Hong Kong using a boat called EF Language, one of the 1997 uh, Volvo 60s, and uh, start to create something in Hong Kong uh, that could do sail training, that could provide this experience that I was so um, passionate about uh, providing. Uh, as it was, Hong Kong is a very small environment uh, to try and do that, and the human resource laws which had favored people going off from companies and doing sale training and, and doing personal development courses for so long in Hong Kong, they changed and it was difficult to 
to be the new startup company doing that kind of thing. And I have to say that doing it under Hong Kong law, they didn't really have the kind of rules that you want to have backing you up for safety. Um, the best rules in the world for running any kind of sail training uh, vessel, I believe, are the uh, British rules through the MCA, the Marine Coast Guard Authority. That's the highest international standard that I, I know of. So I just felt that it wasn't the right place to do it. And that's when I moved over to Canada, uh, here to Nova Scotia and joined Derek Hatfield, who I'd raced against in the Velux 5 Oceans race, and completely coincidentally, he just bought a Volvo 60, um, the old Amersport 1, and was looking to start doing offshore sailing and racing on the boat. So it was a marriage kind of made in heaven, and by the end of 2013, I was here. I worked with Derek for two years, and then Spartan was set up um, in 2015. So that's the kind of origin point of the company. And I, and I go back to saying all this just to, as, as Spartan restarts now, the direction that we're going looks like it's kind of like a new direction. Like we've, oh, we've, you know, we thought up a new, a new thing to do, but actually it's a return to the very most basic fundamentals of why the company was set up. When we started in 2015, the idea was that we were going to do sale training, personal development, absolutely everything that I've been discussing. But we were undercapitalized when we got going. There was a loads more cost that we hadn't kind of uh, anticipated. It was just at the time where they had the first fatality, unfortunately, on the Clipper round the world race and the insurance companies were pretty nervy about insuring everybody. So we ended up in a situation where we couldn't get going as soon as we wanted to. We had all these uh, uh, new financial commitments that we needed to meet. So what we did is we kind of went for the low hanging fruit, which was doing races. Uh, I am I have done a lot of racing. I enjoy racing. I've got no problem with it. But anybody that's sail with me will know that really what I'm interested in is sail training and, and the personal development side. I think it's just such an incredible platform, so positive uh, to get people out on the water and, and challenge them and, and for them to develop and, and then take home the things they've learned about themselves and, and interacting with others that um, the that had to be kind of pushed to the side uh, to do the racing because obviously when you're going racing, it's just, okay, learn the skills, how the boat works, get out on the water, go as fast as you can. So Spartan was always like kind of disabled right from the very beginning that the thing it had been started out to do which suited my temperament and my my desire to be on the water had been slightly kind of shifted in a new direction that now we're doing the racing because we had a boat that had been a racer in the whitbread 60 um suddenly that's what we're doing but that was never really the idea so we did from 2000 and i think our first event was in uh, february of 2016 um, we did the Caribbean 600 and the Heineken Regatta and anybody who was there for that one will know we had this incredibly difficult uh, delivery down through 70, 80 knot winds um, off of New York, huge, huge seas. I know that um, I was talking to one of my uh, uh, investors at the time I was messaging him whilst I was at sea and he said your last uh, position report, the uh, GPS um, information coming through from your Garmin inReach indicated that you're an at an altitude of 79 feet. Um, that's because it was pinging as we were going over one of these big waves. It was, uh, I think there was a ship about 100 miles inside us at that time, uh, just off of New York, and all the ceilings were falling down inside the, the ship, and uh, they had gusts of 100 knots. So it was pretty rough. By the time we got to Antigua for our first other event as a company, we lost one of the life rafts, we'd lost, lost the companionway hatch. We had, the boat was a disaster, and the team that jumped on board there, um, I think, were they Port Credit? Port Crediton, I forget now, the guys that came down, oh my goodness, sorry, 
Was it, it was either Frenchman's Bay or Port Crediton Yacht Club. Hmm. I think it was Port Crediton. They came on board and uh, just jumped in and helped us out big time to get the boat going. And that was our uh, start into doing what then ended up being like five years of, of doing those uh, those races. So with working with Derek and then working with Spartan, I ended up doing like seven Caribbean 600s back to back and seven Heineken regattas back to back and a lot of round and round and round the houses doing racing always with it in the back of my head of like this is not quite exactly what we're meant to be doing so during covid it's been an opportunity to get back to base principles try and work out what are we about what do we want to do what's the best way of doing this i think what i recognized really early on with the covid lockdown and the situation that we're in is that i had no control over it so there was no point kind of worrying about it i'm very lucky that we've got a little bit of land here i could still move around outside the house i wasn't locked in an apartment or something so my own situation was already positive compared to what some other people were dealing with there were massive financial uh, ramifications of just stopping the only income i had coming into the house but by hook and by crook we kind of found ways of just limping through uh 2020 as as everybody else did but during that time i took the opportunity to look at the fundamentals of what i was doing basically with my life with spartan and look at how can i optimize this how can we make this better now i knew about the ocean globe race and i started to think could we train people towards around the world race obviously i've worked for clipper in the past so i know that it is possible to train people to a standard where they are safe on a boat then I start thinking, okay, well, can they be safe on a Volvo 60 or a Whitbread Maxi? And the answer is, yes, they can, because we've done it for five years on board our boats. We've never had any serious injuries. So if we're careful about making sure the boats are refitted, that everything's in great condition, um, then it would be a case of like, yes, we could enter the Ocean Globe race um, with uh, an amateur crew, put good professionals on board who have already raced around the world. And we would have then a new way coming out of COVID that we could look to the future um, and be a lot closer to the founding principles that, that kickstarted Spartan anyway. So that's what I've been working towards with everything I've been doing basically in 20, um, 2020 uh, and 2021 is trying to get to a point where we can kick this new idea into gear and with it comes a whole new selection of uh of uh, events which are different from things we've done in the past what we used to do before was cross from newfoundland to the to the uk in an event which we called the marconi um guglielmo marconi doing the first transmission across the atlantic sent it from a little radio shack that's just kind of outside of uh, falmouth in the uk and it was received um in st john's newfoundland um which is exactly uh, where we, we set off from on this event. So we named it the Marconi because we're kind of traveling back down the route of the first uh, transatlantic transmission and we end in Falmouth. And uh, as a funny note, the exact distance from one mile offshore uh, Cabot Tower in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland to the finish line inside of the, uh, inside, inside of the lighthouse at uh, Falmouth there, the Lizard Lighthouse, the uh, it's exactly 1904 miles and the first transmission was sent in 1904 so you can see how that all kind of dovetailed together so we used to cross the atlantic on the marconi get to the uk if we were doing something like the fastnet race then we'd go and do that and then the boat would go down to the uh, canary islands ready for 
either the Rourke Transat or the Ark going across in uh, late November, early December. That would then bring us to the Caribbean. The boat then sits in the Caribbean through the remainder of December and through January and through most of February until we get to the start of the Caribbean 600. Then we do the Caribbean 600, which laces its way all through the Windward Isles of the, of the Caribbean there. And then almost as soon as that's finished, we go to the Heineken event. After we've done the Heineken regatta, the boat sits for another about month. Then it goes to uh, either to the um, St. Bart's or we never really got very much interest in doing that. I know some other charter boats do it. For me, it was never something I was really up for for some reason. But um, we go to Antigua Sailing Week. And then after Antigua Sailing Week is the Antigua to Bermuda race. We do that. And then um, if we were, it was a year where we were going to the Newport Bermuda race, then we'd go to Newport, do the Newport Bermuda race. And then we had a, a final event called the East Coast Fly, which would take us back up to Nova Scotia. So a circuit of the Atlantic, which by the time you've done all the messing around and the deliveries, and certainly if we would, one year we added in going to the Middle Sea race, um, you've got nearly 15,000 miles that you're doing around the Atlantic. Um, most of it is racing. What I found is that trying to sell those events, because we're getting known as a race charter company, all the races are the only things that fill out for people booking. And people see that the events going between races as deliveries, and they think there's less value in the deliveries. Where on the flip side of it, my background as a sales training person is that I'm more like, hey, let's let's have a more relaxed type of voyage and then we can learn more and spend more time interacting with each other because a lot of racing is just, you know, first day people are absolutely pooped by the fact they've got the boat ready, they've gone through the start sequence, they've probably been awake most of the day and then they hardly tend to sleep very much on the first night. So by the early hours of the second day, everyone's on their backs and they slowly start to get on top of the three hours on, three hours off schedule we run. Um, and then, you know, the events are normally done within five days, right? So there's, I suppose the transatlantics are uh, a bit more relaxed because they can take 10, 12, 13 days, but still the same thing. There's a lot of focus on racing and position and trimming and all that kind of stuff, which is definitely a big part of it. And I hope that we've um, shared with people over the last five years, lots of important input, but I got to say my, my heart's not in it because I would, I saw the platform as being much more valuable doing personal development type courses. So as we go into the end of 2021 now, and I'm sitting down and writing the, um, the schedule, what I saw was that there was an opportunity to change out what we were doing and push Spartan in a, in a new direction. And this is backed up by the fact that I know we've got the Ocean Globe race going on in 2023, which means that we're still very focused on a particular goal. And we also have the seamanship training course now, which we've been developing on Patreon, which is getting more and more people uh, clicking on for that. It's about $20 a month. And at the moment, we're putting out uh, a one hour um, seamanship training video every two weeks plus you get early access to the podcast and blogs and extra videos and things I put up there um, and that seems to be getting a very good response I'm hoping that in the end those can be clustered together and then sold as standalone um, uh, training courses that you can buy online but the the idea at the moment is that that's you know that's where we do the training people can get involved in that and learn and see the boats and really get a, a full feeling for what it's like to be on these boats and operate all this equipment and then when they join the boats they're already streets ahead on that 
that stuff, we should be kind of like going over things rather than having to teach people from the very basics. Um, so we can aim towards a round the world race event in 2023. And between now and then, we've got to provide the training for those people who are coming around the world. And we can go and do some other kind of things rather than racing all the time. So as we go into 2022, the first thing we'll be doing is in uh, April, 18th of April, we've got the Regatta del Sol al Sol, which goes from St. Petersburg in Florida, uh, inside the Panhandle of Florida, down uh, towards Mexico. And that's just a 500-mile race. Um, and already we've got two boats entered in that. We've got the Open 60 Falcon and we've got our Whitbread 60 Challenger already in there. We now have uh, the Maxi Weddle available, which is another 16 places if anybody's interested to, to join us for that. A shorter one, but I think it's going to be really good fun. And the, the cruise which we've got uh, already going on that boat, great group of people who were meant to be going and doing it in 2020, uh, Jody and the boys, um, they... They, they put it off until 2021 and then boom, it was still in the same situation with COVID. So 2022, they're hanging on for that. So I think it's going to be a big, exciting return to racing for that, uh, for that yacht club, for that event and for any crew that get involved in that. Once we get to Mexico, we're going to be um, turning around and doing a, a short event, which we call the Mexico Flyer, which will bring us back up from Mexico and into Fort Lauderdale. And there's a massive price difference between the race events and the, uh, the, the short event that comes back up to Fort Lauderdale. There's a lot more training. There's a lot more build up and there's a lot more kind of going on when you do a race event. The voyaging events, obviously, we do our training. We always do our safety training. There's always three days of training before we go anyway, but there's extra days of training when we're doing the, the racing. Um, and that all is a great opportunity for anybody that's uh, interested to get involved in this kind of sailing, to come and experience what it's like to, to cross large patches of ocean, to jump on board, learn skills, see how it's done, and maybe take that back to their own boat and their own sailing. Once we finish up with the Mexico flyer, we've got the Gulfstream flyer. I, I, I tagged the word flyer onto a lot of these things we did. I think I like them all having uh, names. I'm not sure if uh, are the better things we can call them, but uh, I guess it's, it's becoming well known now that we have these flyer events. The next one is the Gulfstream flyer, and this is one I'm excited about. It goes from Fort Lauderdale up to Newport. But the, for those who don't know, up the west side of the Atlantic, indeed up the west side of the Pacific as well, because of the Coriolis effect, you've got these this large... Um, uh, basically like a river running through the ocean that goes from the from the Caribbean up to about 100 miles south of um, Lunenburg here, then turns and arches across the North Atlantic towards the UK. It's one of the reasons that the south of the UK has such a warm climate, even though it's so far north. The um, Gulf Stream brings that warm water up, helping to cool equatorial regions, and then the Labrador current coming down from the from the polar region uh, mixes with it and that warm water is cooled and the cool water is warmed and that's one of the central uh, kind of uh, heat exchange systems on the planet. We could have a whole podcast about what happens if the Gulf Stream stops. It's not a good... <laughs> Basically, you're moving away from anywhere north of 45 north and you're moving away from anywhere probably south of 15 north. So uh, we'll get on to that another time. But up the Gulf Stream, obviously, then you've got this uh, wide band of water which has got all sorts of eddies and, and counter eddies and um, a lot of um, thermal mass, which then creates a lot of energy uh, in the in the air above it, causing quite strong atmospheric effects. So the inside the Gulf Stream can be quite rough, can be quite windy, lots of squalls. 
but it's it sits about 70 to 100 miles offshore so you can go up the side of the gulf stream and kind of like uh, pick your pick your level of challenge by dipping into it and dipping back out for anybody that's got um, aspirations of doing the newport bermuda race or traveling on that uh, coast of the us the gulf stream flyer is a great opportunity to kind of make friends with the with the gulf stream and understand how it works see the temperature going up and down on the hull have a look at the um, data which we can download which gives us thermal information about the gulf stream and then we're able to picture it and see it and learn how to work with those kind of um, those kind of currents those kind of forces while we're in the open ocean and setting off from fort lauderdale nice and easy to get to if you're in north america and then going up to newport again it is the kind of thing where you can just um, fly there in a couple of hours from wherever you live in north america and then fly home again and making it very simple um, after the Gulfstream flyer this time that will be starting on 17th of May and finishing up on about the 26th of May we've got the Newport Bermuda race and I think everybody is looking forward to this again we've already got two boats uh, entered into this because we had the two boats that we were uh, booked up for in 2020 and then everything just ground to a halt so uh, we are excited now to be able to offer another boat uh, for that event and I think we've already got a team lined up for that. If we do go ahead and get the extra boat which I'll be discussing a little bit later on the extra maxi to round out our Ocean Globe race entry then we will have yet more places available for that but we've done the Newport Bermuda race twice now. Um, both times it's been a bit of a kind of an adventure. Uh, the second one we did, which was 2018, the uh, that was the year that um, we were getting ready for it and warming up for the Newport Bermuda race. We did the Block Island race, which runs down Long Island Sound, and we ended up striking uh, a huge submerged object. We think it was a giant um, waterlogged telegraph pole because one other boat about 20, 30 minutes behind us hit the same thing and there were injuries on board and a lot of damage to the boat. They got a glimpse of it. It was uh, in the uh, in the nighttime when we hit it. We never saw anything. We're doing about 12, 13 knots and the bow took some damage on Challenger, but it's all reinforced and it's uh, it's actually all sacrificial in that area as well. So there's a big crash box on the front of us. So it's never damaged. I was never worried about there being too much damage to the boat, but we of course have to haul the boat out and inspect it as, as you might imagine after hitting some of that. We just stopped racing and went into uh, East London. But when we did lift it out, um, we discovered something different, that there was crevice corrosion between the keel plate and the bulb of, uh, of Challenger, which um, investigation and a lot of head scratching and asking around in the industry, we found out that another boat had suffered a very similar damage, which actually led to the bulb of the boat uh, falling off. Uh, that was Donnybrook. Um, and she'd been sitting in the same marina that we had in the Caribbean. And we know that the last inspection of the of the vessel by a, a marine uh, inspector, marine surveyor, was only 12 months before. And we had no issues in that area. So we were very aware of the fact that the boat was fine. And then one year later, we've got crevice corrosion to a point where we had to replace the keel. So unfortunately, that all happened just as a precursor a couple of weeks before we went into the Newport Bermuda race. So thank goodness we were able to, um, one of the crew actually from um, the Greenwich Yacht Club, they uh, were able to make their own boat, uh, a little, what was it, a J112 called Summer Grace uh, available. And we managed to cram at least half of the crew which had wanted to go on Challenger, crammed them onto the boat and we ended up doing the entry in the Newport Muda race on this J112, which I seem to remember we got ready like in a week. It had only ever done Thursday night races, like no kites on board, no nothing, and uh, had never done any offshore racing. And we managed to 
get it organized and get it into the race and certified and all of the uh, inclination uh, uh, testing done on it and everything all in a week. It was a pretty crazy week, but we entered the Newport Muta race and uh, and had a finish and um, it was enjoyable, but it wasn't quite what we ex- <laughs> were expecting. And obviously a massive issue getting the keel sorted out on, on Challenger, but um, we did it. And now that puts us in very good uh, stead to send that boat off around the world on the Ocean Globe race. Obviously all new keel bolts and new keel and everything. It's better to have that than be guessing about what's going on on a boat um, when you're going to go into the Southern Ocean. So, um Newport Mamuda race this time, however, is going to be a completely different kind of go because everybody that um, is going into it, no doubt, are the competitors who wanted to be in in 2020 and couldn't. So it's uh, it's Mr. Year for, I think, the first time in its history. And uh, now as we go into it, there's going to be a lot of excitement to, to get back on the water, kind of return to normal business. And we're going to be right there. We've got the Open 60, the Whitbread 60, and the new Maxi uh, 80 in, involved in that. Again, if we get the other boat that we're looking for to round out our Ocean Globe race entry, then there'll be another 16 places available on that. Um, I'll, I'll skim through the next couple because I don't want just a list of things that Spartan's doing. So we want to get to the new stuff. After that, we go up to, uh, on the East Coast Flyer, back up to Lunenburg. That's June 25th to July 4th. Again, an introductory um an introductory uh, voyage which many people have taken with us and enjoyed because it's the uh, it is challenging you do cross the gulf stream go through the northern wall of the gulf stream which is always a very rough patch of water um but it's it's 700 miles it's not too long and uh gives people a bit of a taste of what it's like to be at sea the newfoundland screech is um very popular it's one of our kind of lost leaders it's a cheaper one which is a 500 no it's nearly 600 mile trip but i like it because you get to go from lunenburg and go out to saint pierre which is this tiny little slice of uh, France, which is only a couple of miles offshore from North America. If you don't know about this, have a look for Saint-Pierre and Miquelon. It's a French territory, uh, literally within sight of Newfoundland. And uh, we'll be going there first and then going on to St. John's in Newfoundland before we do the Marconi Transat, which you mentioned already, which is this 2,000 mile uh, transat uh, across the Atlantic. Again, if you haven't done something like that before and you want to spread your wings, it's great to be able to do it on a boat that really definitely can handle it. Boats which are built for the Southern Ocean with experienced skippers on board who can keep things safe and calm, relaxed, learn the skills and not in an environment where you're being pushed off the wheel because you're point one of a knot slower than the other guy because we're racing and blah 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 it just lets the marconi is an event but it's not a race event it's a, a kind of cruising company then we get to the ones which i'm excited about which is the new ones which we're going to do one which we're calling english channel pilot <laughs> and that goes from cows uh in the uh, uk we're going to drive the boat up from falmouth to cows very very famous part of the world the mecca for sailing in the uk uh, Solent there is indeed where the Whitbread started from back in 73 and we're going to be doing a trip that goes up uh, around the now you know the UK looks like a witch riding a pig chasing a koala bear right we've discussed this before like just you got to just take it from me that's what it looks like if you look at a map of the UK you can see that Wales looks a bit like the pig's head with the ear sticking out there at uh, Hollyhead and the Isle of Anglesey you can see the pig's trotter dipping down to the southwest down Cornwall and Devon and that way where I used to live and then the witch riding, uh, riding the pig is uh, her nose and hat is made up with the uh, the top of Scotland. Uh, the bum of the pig is East Anglia and a little bit of a pig leg is uh, off down into Kent. So there's there's your witch riding a pig. And of course, as we all know, the uh, 
the whole of Northern Ireland and Ireland together looks like a koala bear uh, pointing towards North America. So <laughs> there you go. So you get to learn about navigation as well on this podcast. So if the UK is indeed a witch riding a pig chasing a koala bear, then we're going to be racing from uh, the... <laughs> How do I do this? From the pig's tummy, round the pig's bum, <laughs> and to Norway. And Norway doesn't look like anything in particular. Um, so we'll be going from cows around Kent, around uh, uh, East Anglia, and up the North Sea and into Stavanger in Norway, which is going to be completely new for me. I've never been to Norway. I'm very excited about it. I've visited Sweden. I'm guessing there's a lot of similarities, but um, the fjords of, Nor- of Norway is what I'm really excited about. We have a number of listeners to this podcast who have been in communication before saying, hey, come to Norway. So I did have an idea to get the little westerly together and get across the Atlantic in it, but there's just not enough time. There's not enough time for that project now with the other things that we're doing. Um, so I thought, hey, there's a way of getting to Norway. Let's go there with all the boats. So we'll be crossing over the Atlantic with uh, Falcon, the Open 60, and with Challenger and with Weddle. If we've got the other boat, we'll have that one as well. And then we'll leave Falcon in the UK ready for her west about. Now, as I've said before, a couple of podcasts back, my situation's changing now. We've got a baby on the way, which is pretty amazing, exciting for me. Um, and I'm just not the right person to say, yeah, sure, you uh, you get on with that. And I'll, uh, I'll just go and nip around the world and do this west about thing. So my idea to go this year and do the west about um, as soon as we got that news in and uh, very excited that there's a, a baby on the way um, and that baby of course has decided to turn up on about February the 27th which is pretty much exactly when I was expecting to be on my way back uh, having set off in uh, early November on what hopefully would be a 120 day trip so that's off but it means that we just push it back at the end of the day the sailing is exciting it's fun it's for a good cause to support nova scotia to go and do that west around the world but it is a game we're not we're not doing it to deliver you know drugs to the needy we're not doing it specifically for any reason apart from i'm going to challenge myself there's gonna be a lot of people that vicariously going to come along and uh, enjoy that journey and 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 witness what uh, what happens in the southern ocean obviously i'm trying to push as much attention towards nova scotia to try and develop um the place that i love uh, and develop its uh, its place in the international scene but much more important than that is being able to support the person who uh, who I'm having a child with. So uh, I'm going to stay and do that, which means that in 2022, Falcon will be dropped off in uh, the UK at the end of the Marconi, and she will sit there then from uh, we do the Marconi on July 20th until July the, uh, till August the 8th, and then we'll be starting the English Channel pilot on the August the 17th from Cows, and that's when Falcon will stay in the UK. Uh, ahead of departing on the Westabout trip in November. So up the channel, up the North Sea to Stavanger, go and see what that's all about. Not too expensive, under 2000 for for that trip to uh, from Cows up to Stavanger. Um, gonna be pretty exciting. Lots of training before we set off on that one. As always, all the safety training alone takes a day and then two days on the water, getting crew up to speed with being safe on the boat and then a cruise in company with the other Spartan boats up the channel and round. I've raced through there before on the Clipper race. Got we racing on that one from 
uh, Cork in Ireland to Imauden in Holland. Very interesting going around the, the wash and all the offshore um, wind farms and then the tides coming and going and all of the, the, the sand banks around there. Very interesting navigation. Plus, of course, you're inside of the traffic separation scheme, which is one of the most busy places in the world. All those ships going backwards and forwards. You have to be very cautious to stay away from the traffic separation schemes, which we are not allowed to enter. And they are very happy to uh, send you a, a, a whacking great fine if you go into them. There's no messing around down there. So if you want to see proper navigation happening, o open ocean navigation is a lot more relaxed than coastal navigation. Coastal navigation in the channel at the narrowest part of the English Channel is definitely uh, a, a place where your, your skills get tested. So if you want to see that in action, join us for the English Channel pilot in August. Um, and then the one that <laughs> I have brewed this up specifically just because I want to go to this place. We've got one which is called the Faroe Islands Explorer. It departs on August the 28th from Stavanger in Norway. It's uh, 3,500 and it's um, uh, going to be going from Stavanger out to the Faroe Islands and from the Faroe Islands on to Reykjavik. Like what... Uh, voyage. I am so excited about it. Now, all these prices are in uh, euros, so um, it's a more expensive one. It's up there, but how do you get to the Faroe Islands and how do you get into a situation where you you sail on an ocean going race boat uh, with an experienced uh, skipper? You know, all of our skippers have done uh, round the world events or trained for round the world events or are going to round the world events, or they are all people who, for whom this kind of sailing is their lifeblood. Uh, to set off with a, a boat like that and a skipper like that out to a, a hidden gem like the Faroe Islands. I've, of course, like many people, just seen it on TV and on in doing my research online. But um, it's an impossible place to get to unless you can go to Copenhagen and fly there. It's not impossible. It's a Danish territory, of course. Um, it's, it's incorrect to say that it's uh, completely impossible. But when you're at sea doing it on a boat, obviously your approach and what you can see and what you can experience is totally different from flying in there. So we go into um from stavanger across which is like about 550 miles and then it's almost exactly the same distance to go from the faroe islands on to reykjavik which again i'm very excited about i remember in 1999 at the end of the well as we all saw it at the time at the end of the last century of course it didn't really happen until the next next year but none of us cared because 2000 was coming and i was very keen with my partner at the time to head somewhere exciting and Reykjavik was all I wanted to do. That was a big one and I couldn't afford the flights. I was a student, couldn't afford the flights. We went to Stockholm instead, which was awesome, had a great time and stayed on the tall ship Af Chapman, which is a youth hostel and saw ABBA and Europe play and it was wonderful. But I was always a bit ugh, like stuck with the fact that it, I didn't get to go to uh, Iceland. And now, of course, the opportunity presents itself and in a fantastic way. So that's uh, August 28th to September 10th, going from Stavanger to the Faroe Islands and then on to Reykjavik. So from there, then we need to make our way back to Nova Scotia. You see, this is completely different than going to the UK, to the Mediterranean, to the Canary Islands, across the Atlantic, then doing all the Caribbean stuff. There's no racing in any of this. This is all seamanship training and personal development courses. We'll be doing, some of the boats will be filled with people who are going on the um, Ocean Globe Race, which we're going to talk about in a second. The training for that is already started. We've already done uh, one transatlantic crossing with some of the crew for the Ocean Globe Race. The 
there's perhaps another one of those coming this year and then of course next year will be deep into the training so um, if you want to join us for that as your training then we'll be uh, we'll be discussing that the the training which is going on for the ocean globe race is embedded in these things so when you get free training well of course you get training but you get free training as part of your ocean globe race package you're also getting these event events baked into it that's the thing that you go and do to to get your uh, uh, your training done so we're in Reykjavik now Re my idea originally was to go from Reykjavik to Iceland I don't know if you ever looked at the uh, chart and looked at Iceland there's like uh, there's, there's some things written on it it's not it's not impossible to imagine that people live there. Look at Greenland. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing. There's nothing there. I'm going to take some uh, plywood and some paint and just make my own signposts and just put them up and, uh, and name things uh, after, you know, people I know, uh, things I'm thinking at the time, like upper bottom, lower bottom. We're going to have uh, those kind of uh, silly names uh, just populate Greenland if we can. Uh, as I started to look at it, I started to realize that my idea of going from Reykjavik to Greenland was never going to work because there's only a couple of airports. Some of them have only seasonal flights in. Most flights going to Greenland go from Copenhagen. Um, and then the uh, some of the airports, I also had to uh, contend with the fact that they don't have... Um, they don't have roads that <laughs> go to them. So it's helicopter transport from the nearest town. It's just like the logistics were impossible. So I, I wanted to go to Greenland. I don't know enough about the place to be able to come up with some other kind of crazy um, s uh, s solution. All I could see is that you basically can't fly in and out very easily. And even if you do manage to fly in, you could still be a number of logistical steps away from where you want to go. So we're going to go straight from Reykjavik back to St. John's, Newfoundland. And there's never a sad moment going into St. John's, Newfoundland. It's a fantastic spot. If you don't know it, as I said in the write-up on the uh, the website, it is um, famed for being one of the most important ports in the in the Atlantic region. Certainly, all during the Second World War, huge amounts of air support and uh, and naval support going in and out of St. John's. Now, with the rise of um, offshore gas and offshore oil, huge amounts of vessels going in and out of uh, St. John's. But Newfoundland as a whole. I know certainly before I came to live in Canada, I didn't really know anything about Newfoundland. I didn't even know how to say Newfoundland. I think I said Newfoundland. Um, but if as a quick, I, I was taught by a Newfoundlander uh, who definitely knew how to say it. The best way to say it is to rhyme it with understand Newfoundland. That's how it, how it goes. So Newfoundland as the most easterly province of, um, of Canada, uh, very rugged, very... Um, very much out there the locals and most people in atlantic canada call it the rock which gives you an idea of what the the geography is like and uh but just the, the nicest people oh my god and the music and the george street in um in st john's is something to behold on a friday and saturday night uh and then they have this wonderful screeching in ceremony uh which is where you get to kiss a cod wearing whilst you're wearing a sou'wester hat and then drink a lot of rum um I'm not sure that it's like, <laughs> it's neither religious nor spiritual, but it's heaps of fun and uh, and definitely lets you know that you have arrived. The thing with that one that's going to be is that it's one of the longer trips that's going to happen. The Faroe Islands is 1,100 miles to go from Stavanger to the Faroe Islands to Reykjavik. Um, this one, the Atlantic Voyager, which starts on September 12th, that is 1,600 miles. It's almost like an Atlantic crossing to go from Iceland back to St. John's. So that is a proper opportunity to be at sea. Uh, we start on the September 12th with the training, and that one we should be done by September 23rd. It's 11 days, three of which are training. Um, the rest of it is at sea, trying to 
uh, trying to trying to get where we're going. And uh, it's going to be new for me. Traveling at that time of year, we have to be aware of the fact of icebergs. We have to be aware of uh, whales. We have to be aware of all the other sea life that we need, we encounter along the way. We have to be aware of the weather situation. But that's the great thing with having these kind of boats, much bigger boats, much stronger boats. Um, we only have boats which have uh, single fixed keel arrangements, no canting keels, no centerboard twin foils or anything like that. It's a, a simple to understand, very, very strong central um, uh, steel keel which with a single rudder behind it, which means that if we do hit anything, um, the keel protects the rudder. When you have double rudders on things, remember Falcon won't be with us for this one. It'll be in the UK waiting for the west about. Um, when you have double rudders or you have dagger boards and you drive over something like ice or accidentally... Uh, yeah, you can get into collisions with whales and that kind of thing. Obviously, you don't want to hurt the whale. You don't want to get involved in that situation. You can, but you do also want to think about, okay, what's going to be the ramifications to the boat if we do drive over a piece of uh, ice or a tree or a container or a whale or whatever it is. And with having double rudders, they're sticking out on either side of the keel. The keel doesn't protect them. Whatever you hit swirls off down the side of the keel and then crashes into the rudder next, which can have obviously catastrophic effects. So I really like the boats that we have. They're bought for a very particular reason. They're Kevlar hulled, apart from Falcon, which obviously won't be involved in this. They're Kevlar hulled. They have very strong central fixed keels. Well, obviously central. Well, I suppose you have a bit bilge keeler. <laughs> central keel. That's a new concept. Um, yeah, our bilge keel Volvo 60. You try that one. Um, but the, the the strong keel and then uh, inline uh, central and uh, single rudder, <laughs> just to be clear, um, means it's very protected. So these kind of boats have done lots of uh, work in these regions and um, and uh, that seem to be well suited to it. So as we come burning back down then into Canada, that's the September the 23rd, which leaves us with the last of them, which we're calling the Grand Banker, which takes us back down over the Grand Banks, this famous fishing ground, which is um, between Maine, basically in the US and, and Newfoundland, um, shallower areas. Uh, you've got the uh, all of the pelagic fish stocks, which run up the, um, the Gulf Stream, are right next to, completely adjacent to the Grand Banks. So huge nutrients and, and uh, other fish coming up from the Caribbean. And then that shallow area, which is such a famous economic engine for Atlantic Canada in the past with the massive cod stocks on there. So a very famous part of the world, very tough. It used to be a lot colder, obviously, um, in the 1800s. Uh, the stories of what people um, went through, if you want to have a quick see of what that's about, see the film Captain Courageous and uh, find out what the Grand Banks are about. But um, that should be a good one. And that one, again, will go from St. John's in Newfoundland into Saint-Pierre, that little slice of France just offshore and then down to Lunenburg. So kind of a, a kind of a lot there, but you'll see like things like the Regatta del Sol al Sol, which is at the very beginning going from St. Petersburg to Mexico. We're doing that because that is promised to uh, groups which wanted to do it in 2020. The Newport Bermuda race equally is about um, us providing that as promised to people that booked it in 2020. But moving forward, everything else that's on there is all um, is all ready to be training for the Ocean Globe race, uh, or it's more along the lines of seamanship development and personal development courses. And my goal with all this is to get Spartan 
back to the position it was at the end of uh, 2019, which we were looking like we were just about to be able to become a, an out-of-bound school, a proper endorsed out-of-bound school. Um, but for that to happen, I think we need to drift away from the, the racing. The racing thing needs to be this one-off that we do, which is the Ocean Globe race. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, the first thing, some people are asking me about the cost. What I've done with the, the cost for the Ocean Globe race is I have just made it so it's exactly the same as the Clip Around the World race. So you can look at the two as being equal, uh, certainly in finances. What I wanted to do was try and address some of the issues that people have with the Clipper race. I say I'm a big fan of Clipper. I've, uh, I was a skipper, went around the world with them. A huge um, you know, sweat equity in, in Clipper. Um, but I think there's people that have done that and are looking for another kind of challenge. Other people that have difficulties with some of the logistical constraints. Clipper is based in the UK. Most of the trainings in the UK, although I believe they've got two boats in Australia, but a lot of people that are interested in this kind of thing are in North America. Now we are in North America and we have boats that can cross the Atlantic um, relatively easily, relatively easily. I'm doing a little air uh, bunny. It's not, uh, it's not nothing, but we do it enough to know what we're doing. So my concept is that with the uh, Ocean Globe Race, we can provide training in North America and in Europe. Now, the place in Europe is somewhat undecided because uh, we need to work out, okay, where are people coming from? Is everybody going to be from the UK? In which case, let's train in the UK. Or is everybody from, I don't know, Italy? Is there an Italian team that wants to take on the Ocean Globe Race Challenge? So we'll go and train in Italy. But whatever it's going to be, we will kind of bring the boats to a central location for all of the uh, clients that are booking from Europe and we'll offer training in Europe and we'll offer training in um, in North America and then people can join the events in between if, if that suits them as well. So we're moving much more towards focusing all of our efforts into doing the Ocean Globe Race and so we've got one big kind of pinnacle task that we're going to and you've heard me mention it before but what I'm really keen on is that we focus this into uh, veterans, veterans from the military, veterans from the first responders and also uh, I've been asked to open it up and I think it's very very worthwhile to um, medical personnel who have been affected by what's been going on in COVID. There's a lot of people that need just to get into a new headspace after what they've witnessed and what they've experienced. PTSD is um, something which we're all becoming much more aware of can exist. You know, you may have been involved in a car accident where you have PTSD. You may have been involved with a battalion of other people who have PTSD because of what they were doing in Afghanistan. It can be individual, it could be group, it could be that what you're feeling stressed about and really struggling to cope with is completely different than what somebody else is, but you've got a similar kind of um, effects. And I think all the experience I have of working with people with PTSD, working with vets, working on board cell training vessels, I see a lot of things there that could all be very beneficial. People just getting away from everyday life, um, getting down to brass tacks of, okay, we've got to make a meal here. We've got to do some sleeping. We've got to get uh, this boat. Uh, we've got to get these sails going. We got, it's just such basic things. It's so black and white. And there's so much opportunity there for people to show their best and, and, and understand and start to modify some of the things they do, which make them a bit spiky, which make them a bit difficult. It ends up being fantastic for developing self-confidence and new communication skills and, you know, just just altering your world view of what's going on, not least by the fact that the event that you go and do, but all of the training that leads up to it and uh, the um, proposal which I put together for this uh, for the for the veterans, it ends up being that there's um, there's like over a hundred contact days between 
um, the seamanship training course, which is online, but with uh, with uh, regular Zoom conferences for the people that are taking it. Then with all of the training uh, here in Nova Scotia or in Europe, wherever it's going to be. And then with the uh, training at sea, crossing the Atlantic or doing what we're doing there. And then the actual race around the world, it adds up to over 100 contact days. Um, and that's even if you're just doing one leg. Like remember with the Ocean Globe race, the Ocean Globe race is separated into four legs around the world. If you're doing the entire thing around the world, well, it's going to be like six months plus 90 contact days before you go. So um, a huge opportunity, I think, there for me personally to get back around to the, the principles which started me on the road to uh, Spartan and started me on the road to everything that I've done in sailing. I think I've got a lot that I would like to share with people who um, want to join the Ocean Globe Race. Obviously, I've sailed twice around the world now. By the time we go and do the Ocean Globe Race, I've done my West About thing, which hopefully touch wood will mean that I've done three uh, circumnavigations, one with crew with stops, one on my own with stops and one on my own without stops. So there should be a, a baseline of knowledge there and the opportunity to get people to push themselves and develop themselves and, and start to in some way step beyond the experiences which have, um, have left them uh, asking questions. Um, as we know with a lot of vets, the trans transitional gap between being in the force and then being back in Civvy Street is, is difficult because you're so mission orientated, every day is so structured, um, and the connection with the people around you is so close. Once you get out of that, it's kind of like losing swaddling or something like a, you know, some babies like to be wrapped up. Um, when you release them from it, unless they're already asleep, they don't like it. And I think there's a bit of that goes on when you get out of any kind of institutionalized service, any like quasi militarized service where you've like the police, the, the fire brigade, the ambulance, what have you. It's such a tight relationship with people. It's such a well-known um, uh mo for everything you do each day that when that is lost there's a, a feeling of 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 loss of mourning that this thing has gone add to that you know the psychological trauma that you may have been through whilst doing your service and uh, there's no wonder that vets from from all backgrounds veterans from the military and from first responders and as we said also from the medical profession need extra support need extra help these uh, tens of thousands of people who are in this um, situation obviously we can't provide training for all of them but my hope is that vicariously people that are following the project will also learn some of the lessons and see people develop and perhaps find some answers for their own situation so the ocean globe race yes it's a race around the world yes spartan does racing but actually the ocean globe race for me is the start of something completely different so we've already got um three crew have signed up for that i started talking about this at the beginning of 2021 got a lot of interest from people that are interested to join us the overall cost of it is um 77 000 us dollars that ends up being 63,000 euros it's about 55,000 pounds or 93,000 canadian there you go i can do it in all the different um uh, <laughs> all the different currencies so you can kind of pick one that makes sense to you but that is all balanced against it's exactly the same as the uh, clipper uh, cost going around the world and you can imagine that uh, trying to put boats in this kind of event get these kind of boats ready for that event staff ensure prepare train everything adds up to a huge amount of money um, but i'm very happy to get involved in it because i think it can be a, a massively good event what we're going to do with the individual legs if you don't or can't do the whole thing going around the world is we're just going to divide 
your uh, the round the world cost in four so there's no like extra profiteering from the fact that you're only taking one leg and there's no extra cost for the training either which is very important and some other scenarios other companies you actually have to pay for the training on top of the around the world so it's all embedded in there and uh, we've uh, got sponsorship from Halley Hansen so there's going to be for the people that are doing around the world they'll get two sets of waterproofs full ocean waterproofs from Halley Hansen all branded up and they'll get them because um, two sets after you've been through Southern Ocean your, your gear tends to get a little bit uh, worn out plus training and everything else for those who are doing individual leg you get a single set of uh, Heli Hansen fully branded ocean waterproofs and then um, for the round the world is they're going to get two Timo back toe life jackets again to recognize the fact that uh, equipment does have a, a lifetime and if you're putting thousands of miles on a piece of equipment as we go into the race we don't want people who have already done a lot of training to have pieces of equipment which in any way could be um, seen as being not at the peak performance so with something as important as a life jacket um, we'll be providing two life jackets for around the world crew and a single life jacket for those doing an individual leg again branded and everything and uh, have a look on the youtube channel if you don't know about the back toe life jacket because we did a full review there um, showing just how good that system is and how important it is to be able to be towed backwards alongside that boat rather than towed forwards which obviously ends in a drowning situation so uh, there's going to be great equipment there's going to be lots of training on two different continents and the stuff going backwards and forwards in between if you can join that if you want to pay a little bit extra you can do loads of extra training i think some people are into that and i've already been contacted by a lot of people that want to be involved in the maintenance and preparation of the vessels and take on logistical roles and stuff like that which will absolutely also be needed but um we do have the proposal in the uh, in as many inboxes around the world as we can right now with um, organizations which help to fund veterans um, projects um, to send that my concept is that we're going to put uh, we're definitely putting two boats in the race that's challenger which is uh, already um, eligible for the race and and, and ready to go uh, and then we've got the new boat Weddle which we, I think we'll be changing the name of that boat relatively soon I've got an idea to change it to Osprey a few people wrote to me after the last podcast and said um, they thought Osprey was a good idea as well but if you haven't seen images of that already go to YouTube there's a full tour there of the Maxi Weddle um, you see what that's all about but she's going to get a few minor modifications inside and then she's basically ready for it new sails new rigging already got new running rigging um, new safety gear throughout she's already got new life jackets so there's uh she is ready to go and um, the idea for me would be that we'd have at least two veterans boats hopefully the two maxis are leaving at least challenger but maybe one other boat to be uh, for public enrollment um, and that those two veterans boats could be sponsored by a charity which sees the benefit of this kind of uh, offshore sailing so the offshore racing um is really kind of toning down now for Spartan. We're going to go much more towards the out of bound stuff that's important to me. And the but the focus is still on that round the world race event, but looking at it as being a developmental opportunity for 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 veterans and for first responders and, and medical professionals. So that's kind of what we're doing. That's what we're uh, getting into in the next um, two years. Well, I guess a little bit more than two years. Um, the Ocean Globe race kicks off in June of twenty. 23 and will be expected to take about six months to go around the world at the moment the stops are in cape town and in auckland and in uh uh punta del este i believe in uh, in south america i'm not sure if they're gonna um put another 
option in there. I was wondering if they might do one into Newport, in which case I've got to say I was going to try and hijack them and get them to come into Halifax. It doesn't follow the original 1973 uh, event, but it is a very long uh, leg to go up from um, South America back to the UK without going to North America. You have to loop hard to the West anyway to, to, to do that really with the weather system. So and we'll have to see how it goes. If that is what happens, then and anybody's booked an individual leg, then we will adjust prices accordingly. Because I just want to make it that each leg is the cost of the overall race divided by four or divided by five. But um, yeah, it's going to be pretty wild. Those legs are like six and a half thousand miles. They'll take like thirty days to complete each one. That is serious offshore racing. And um, whilst a lot of what we do is personal development, as I said, going into that race, we will be racing proper. So. I'm very lucky at the moment that uh, penciled in at the moment is a guy called Marcus Charlton Brown, who is a, a, a mentor for me and someone I've admired very much in sailing for years. I met him first in Hong Kong and then he he worked for the challenge business back in the day when they were still around. And then he went over to uh, Clipper when the challenge business closed and became one of their race skippers. He did the 0708 uh, clip around the world race as the captain of Qingdao, got a very good result. Um, I went and was the captain of Qingdao in the next edition, didn't get quite as good a result. <laughs> so he's already quicker than me. Um, and then he's um, worked all over North America and the Caribbean, very, very experienced sailor. But importantly for me, you see, as, he, as we set off on this, um, it means that of the two skippers that are penciled in, myself and Marcus, um, we've both already sailed around the world. And I do think that's kind of essential um, you want to have a boat that's designed for going around the world and you want to have a skipper that's already been around the world and then we can be sure that uh, whatever comes, the skipper is on top of it. That's my my greatest uh, hope um, I've seen with the Clipper race. I remember how, how nervous and stressed I was setting off and how much I learned along the way. I just think it's a better concept that with a, a more powerful boat like the uh, Whitbread 60s or the Whitbread Maxis, that the captain is already um, highly experienced in both the operation of that boat and the kind of places we're going to go and the logistical stresses and strains and the crew management and the whole nine yards. You need to have someone, I think, that's done that before. And that's what this is. Uh, this That's where this makes us different to things like the Clipper race, which is very much, um, you know, it's, it's a boat which is designed to have a lot of people who are all doing a lot of different jobs and um, learning as they go and racing against a lot of other boats are exactly the same. We're now racing against a varied field of boats in our division and we'll be um, trying to get that boat moving as quickly as we can. Um, whilst we still don't need to have people to be very experienced to join any of the Ocean Globe race, we'll be providing all the training. We will be looking to maximize the, uh, the performance of the boat, which might mean there's not quite as much sharing of all the jobs that if someone's particularly good on the helm and someone's particularly good on a spinnaker, we're gonna try and use those skills but we will still be making sure that everybody has an important role to play on board the boat and that if it's not at a critical moment, everyone still gets to experience all the different parts of what's happening on the boat. So hopefully um, a step on from, from, from Clipper. Uh, definitely, um, if you've done Clipper race before, you'll uh, enjoy the opportunity for higher speeds and, and more technical kind of uh, sailing. But um, what happens in Clipper is absolutely uh, uh, the, the best foundation for, for going and doing something like this. So I am excited that we're moving in this direction. I've got a lot of trepidation, I gotta say, because it's a whole new thing. Um, 
I think with this kind of uh, this kind of change, the concern is that I've kind of misjudged the situation. But what I see is that um, a lot of companies who are doing trips up into the northern part of the Atlantic and doing much more relaxed, non-racy trips um, are able to provide a better quality of seamanship training, are able to have more enjoyable trips where you go into varied ports and are able to... Um, it's more comfortable on board the boats. Remember, these are race boats. They don't have air conditioning or anything. So forever heading down to the equator for transatlantic crossings and, and running around in the Caribbean, it does make it the boats are very hot and very uncomfortable. Going slightly further north, that's kind of what they're designed for. You can wrap up nice and warm in your sleeping bag. You can put on some extra layers on deck and it's very comfortable, although challenging, uh, all the time. So I think that the move towards going through the North Atlantic is much better. I love that we can offer training in both North America and, uh, and Europe for those who are interested in the Ocean Globe race. I love that we're moving towards one big thing, which hopefully we can get sponsorship for and get the, the vets out on the uh, out on the Ocean Globe race. And I think it's a, a very positive direction. So if you've got any feedback on any of this, if you've got any good ideas about how we can make this even better, please do write to me, csmthemariner at gmail.com. And if you're interested to see all of this stuff uh, online, the website is now adjusted. Um, it's at www.spartanoceanracing.com. Um, there's two different ways of paying. If it's for larger amounts, then obviously do it with a bank transfer. For smaller events, you can just pay with your credit card right there on the on the website. And let's start to get people uh, onto the boats and get this sorted out. We say we've done, we've got three people already um, signed on for the Ocean Globe race. I started to talk about it. I started to sell it early in um, 2021, but I was nervous then about what was the overall kind of picture of the, project was it going to be open enrollment was it going to be the vets was it going to be with a new boat was it going to be with i had so many questions that um i just basically backed off and uh asked those people who were interested to wait till the middle of the year when i could actually get out get on the water uh get out from under the covid lockdown and go and pick up the next boat make sure that part of the plan was in place we've done that We've got the boat. You've heard the story in episodes 49 and 50. We know what's going on now. And uh, it's time to get going with a whole new set of events. So um, a different kind of podcast this time. We are not going to be getting involved in uh, uh, going on and on about what Spartan does all the time. But I think it's interesting. You know, we sit having these chats all the time about ocean sailing and ocean racing. And, you know, one way of doing that is get on the water and come and see what it's about. Like I'm a real person. I'm right here. Um, we go sailing quite a lot. Hopefully we've got one more event coming up in the, the second part of this uh, year, another delivery of another boat. Um, get get involved. Connect uh, through the website. There's an email subscription on the website, which allows you to stay in contact with our newsletter, which goes out every couple of weeks. or so we're starting to be going back out every couple of weeks. There's the blog, which is on the website as well. There's the YouTube stuff, of course. There's those of you who are already over on Patreon and taking advantage of those seamanship videos, which are only available on Patreon. And then, of course, there's a podcast here where you can write in, ask me questions, and I'll, uh, I'll answer them there. So I'm hoping that I'm giving uh, as much opportunity as possible for people to get on the water. Say so my original reason for getting into all this was the love of getting on the water teaching and and being taught while I'm out there. Remember, I still learn something every time I go out as well. 
challenging myself and challenging a crew in a difficult circumstance and then getting to that wonderful point at the end where you can write safe and sound in your logbook and uh, and everybody on board has had a, a fantastic opportunity to to be the very best version of themselves and learn a little bit about themselves along the way it's it's, it's just the best it's the absolute best so um, one question I did get, someone wrote to me and said, um, you know, what's the ratios of men and women on board the boats? The ratio of men and women on board the boats is unfortunately canted towards there being too many boys on the boat, which uh, I lament because um, too many boys on boats is does not actually create a very, very positive environment. I would say this. Um, if you end up coming onto the boat, uh, if you're a woman coming to the boat and there's only a small group of women or you're on your own, I have plenty of people I can put you in contact with who have done uh, similar trips and I think to, uh, to every single one of them will uh, report that you do not get pushed into doing like the cleaning and the cooking and all that bullshit which is some kind of awful horribly probably true stereotype. It doesn't happen on our boats. Um, it's just not where it's at. It's not where we are at. We're not shouting at each other. We're not getting involved in those kind of role models. Everybody does everything, the cooking, the cleaning, the driving, the trimming, every part of it. So I would love to see more women coming onto the boats because I think there's huge value in the different emotional intelligence that women bring to the boat with the different attitude towards um, particularly like being watch leaders and stuff that women bring. It's a lot calmer environment. It's a lot more balanced environment. And I think it's better overall for for both the men and the women when it's more balanced on board. We're not there yet. I would love to get there. Spartan as a whole has about 30% um, of the of our clients are women. And um, uh, I, I I kind of have in the past tried to do events where it's like a women's only sailing team. I don't, I think that falls flat because um, I'm not sure that's where it's at. I think women on board the boats, the, the concern is always like, are they strong enough? And can they, li there's nobody who is picking up the sails on these boats on their own. We're lifting everything by teams of people. So it doesn't matter if it's a team of women, team of guys or mixed. People then say, oh, well, you know, can can they, like they're from another planet, lots of air bunnies going on here, can they operate? There's nobody who can you know, grind the mainsail up on Weddle on their own, not in any kind of realistic time. We do everything in teams. So everything that happens everywhere is teams. So there's no difference in, and if you're a guy, you know, if there's, uh, if you're not feeling particularly strong and you don't want to, you, you can be involved or not involved, but it's going to be happening as a team. Um, what it comes down to then is, do you love going sailing? Do you like being on boats? And if you do, then yeah, absolutely come. There's going to be no, I would, I would lose my mind if we had somebody who was attempting to enforce some kind of misogynistic um, uh, 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 methodology on the boats, either a crew member or a, or a staff member. So um, yes, I am excited to, to, to open this up to everybody, everywhere, whatever your background, whatever your skill level, whatever your age, from 18 to 81, as we've proven before, and any background, inclination, religion, color, creed, or whatever, that's the whole point. That was the point originally of my idea of Outerbound Oceania. I said that there's some things you can do which are real special. When you move into international waters, you leave all those conventions behind. You leave all those concepts behind, and you have to just get the best out of what you've got. And that's when I think the very best of the crew comes out as they start to lean on each other for each other's strengths they help to they help each other with each other's weaknesses they they can achieve so much more together and it doesn't matter if you're you know man woman or beast it's it just 
come and be part of what's going on and be part of that group. I think the most um, the most common thread I hear from people after they've been on the boats is that is that they are experiencing the morning process. We always talk about group dynamics of like uh, groups forming and then storming and norming and performing. The part that's at the end of that is the morning bit when you finish being part of this amazing group of people that have learned to work it out together and um, and go back to your everyday life and you mourn the loss of those people. That I think is uh, a very common thing for our trips and I would uh, hope that that continues into the distant future. A strong alumni with Spartan of people who um, uh, have had amazing experiences and want to come and do more. So yeah, if uh, I haven't been too hope I haven't been too clunky with that, but it's um it would it would it would seriously disappoint me and seriously enrage me if there was any kind of division on board any of our boats based on whether your sexual organs are on the inside or the outside. It's just not an issue. Um, bring a great attitude, bring a smile, uh, bring a bag of Haribo, that's always good, and come and be a part of it, um, whatever whatever your background. So that, I guess, is the, the rundown for what's going on with Spartan in uh, 2022. I say the website's now open. That's SpartanOceanRacing.com. Go and have a look at that. If you've got any feedback or any ideas uh, for the uh, getting sponsorship and proposals and, and money in for the um, for the veterans thing, we are already talking to Black Rifle Coffee, which a lot of people have pointed out is a brilliant veterans-run uh, coffee company in the US and also in Canada. Um, I think that they're very interested to help us out. Whether they've got the funding for it, I don't know. Um, if there's any other organizations that you can think of that would be interested to help us uh, do that. Each boat in the end, I think it ends up being 68 veterans. If we have six who are going all the way around the world and the rest are doing one leg each, plus people involved in the logistics and all the rest of the stuff, it's 68 vets per boat um, involved in those projects. And obviously we're hoping to have two boats, so over 120 uh, people on board those uh, boats. So a big project, an ambitious project, but one I think that could be really awesome for all involved. So so that's the deal. So I hope there was some interest in the, in there for you, even if you are not particularly uh, excited to, to come on board one of the boats. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and on Instagram, of course. That'll all be warming back up now as we've got things to show and promote. I'm not a big one for just, you know, <laughs> put out meaningless crap like uh you know a little little meme like a, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor like yeah i could i could do that but like how is that benefiting your day it just i guess it keeps the idea of the company in your in your mind but i'm sure as we get going into um uh the end of lockdown that those who want to go sailing will very quickly find us and uh, and and be online and ready to book but um yeah, if you want to uh, connect regarding the Ocean Globe race and exactly how that goes down and eyeball the contract, it's a it's a big commitment and you want to make sure it's right. Um, the contracts for all of the stuff with Spartan have been through the lawyers and uh, been used many, many times now. We did make up a specific and new contract which outlines all of the responsibilities by everybody involved for the Ocean Globe race because it's a long-term and expensive project for 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 the, for the clients and for us as a company. So um, feel free to give us a, a bell and uh, find out about uh, looking at the contracts before you get involved in it. But um, I think we've got something exciting going on. And if you want to be part of it, say go over to the website, have a see what's going on and uh, stick your name down, get uh, your name on the list and um, hopefully you'll be sailing with us in 2022. Good. Okay. Well, that's the end of the information blast about Spartan. The next podcast is going to be 
E is for entropy. That's what I promised you. That's what you're going to get. It's a funny one. I actually did an outside broadcast uh, from uh, Ironbound Island to record this one. And um, yeah, uh, an interesting... Interesting for me to try and talk on that subject, entropy, the fact that everything is trying to reduce itself to its uh, component, uh, well, component atoms at the end of it. Uh, it's trying to break down to what's the most stable form and all of our boats are affected by that. And there's a lot of things that we can do to uh, stop our boats from degrading over time and stop our boats from getting to a point where entropy becomes a problem that can cause you know life-threatening issues. I'm not about... Uh, making everything sensational, but if you just let boats do what boats want to do, you don't wash the salt off, you don't get rid of the rust, you don't check things, no preventive maintenance, you, as we all know, you can end up in a very serious situation very quickly. So that podcast hopefully should be of, of interest. And I, if at the end of it, you have a better attitude to cleaning, then my work is done. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's all for this uh, episode. I'll speak to you in the next one. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope that you are safe and sound and looking forward to going sailing as soon as possible. Cheers.